If you have a Bible, you can turn it to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we'll read there briefly this morning. Uh, this Advent series, we are going to focus in on the lineage of Jesus, specifically the mothers of Jesus, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. And we're calling uh, these mothers the unlikely mothers of Jesus. Um, you might ask yourself, why would Matthew start the book of Matthew with a genealogy? Well, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, genealogies were important for tracing your family history, and that was important for uh, receiving your family inheritance. Uh, it was not, um, it was odd, but, but not totally out of the ordinary to have a woman in your genealogy, but usually if there was a woman there, it's because they did something noteworthy or noble, and so they were being honored. What is odd about Jesus' lineage is that the women we find here uh, are not particularly noteworthy, and even in some ways, uh, the stories surrounding them are shameful and um, not noble at all. And we're going to look at one of those stories this morning. And so uh, what Ryan and I would like you to see as we look through this series, as we examine these mothers, is that through these unlikely mothers, God brings an unlikely Savior and he makes us his unlikely children. Through these unlikely mothers, God brings an unlikely Savior and makes us his unlikely children. Now, I know that we have some youngsters here this morning who might want to follow along. And so, uh, youngsters, let me give you three things to listen for this morning, okay? The first one is a famous person in my family, okay? The second one is the true and greater dot, dot, dot. And the third one is a story about a son, okay? So a famous person in my family, the true and greater dot, 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 and a story about a son. Um, all right, let's start out with a reading of God's word from Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you so much that you are Lord, you are King, you are the great creator, ruler, and sustainer of the universe and you are our Heavenly Father. You have been so gracious and kind as to create us, to save us, and to call us your children. Uh, this morning, as we look at the story of your children, Judah and Tamar, I pray, Lord, that we would see the darkness of the story, that we'd see the shame and the depravity, the unfaithfulness, the unrighteousness, and the injustice. I pray that you would use it to awaken our hearts and our minds to the areas of our lives where we are unfaithful, unrighteous, and unjust. But I pray, Lord, that where we see that darkness, that you would shine the light of the gospel and that you would show us how through Christ you have made us your people, how you have given us a righteousness that's not our own, how you have satisfied your justice through your love, and how you have made us your children. And God, I pray that you would use that to transform our lives, the lives of our families, 
the lives of our church and our community and this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, whenever I was a young boy somewhere in elementary school, uh, my Aunt Frances passed away, and my Aunt Frances was uh, important because she helped raise my mother. Um, so when she passed away, she lived out in California. My mother went to the funeral, and when she came back, she had a big file of family stories because they did a genealogy whenever my Aunt Frances passed away. And so we started digging through the family stories, the family genealogy, sort of looking at the family history. And like most families, there were a bunch of people that were not noteworthy and that no one would know about other than us or care about. But there was one name in particular that stuck out. The name was Mary Ball. And if you looked at Mary Ball's family lineage, she was in the line of George Washington. And so you can imagine my surprise as a, you know, seven or eight-year-old boy when I found out that I was related somehow to George Washington. So the next day I went to school and I told all my friends about how I was related to George Washington. I couldn't wait to share the news with them. Um, I even told Sherry that I was related to George Washington whenever we started dating and she didn't believe me. She still doesn't. We all have people in our family who are famous or noteworthy. And those are the people we want to talk about. Those are the stories that we want to tell. But we might even have people in our family who are infamous or ignoble, who maybe you don't want to talk about, and maybe you don't want to share those stories. Uh, Sherry reminded me that at summer conference a few years ago, we had a, st a student there named Brandon, and Brandon loved to share stories and facts, especially about his family, and sometimes they were kind of off the wall and they were random, and one time, Sherry was talking with Brandon, and Brandon said, you know I'm related to somebody famous, don't you? And Sherry was like, no, who is it? And he said, Adolf Hitler. And Sherry said, you know, Brandon, you might want to keep that one to yourself. When we think about our families and we think about our stories, it's important for us to think about the good stories and the famous family members. But it's also important for us to think about those stories that are uh, shameful or dark. Because, because all of those stories shape us. They shape who we are. They shape how we see the world, how we see God, and how we relate to others. And so a question I want to pose to you this morning is, what are the sad stories in your family? What are the shameful stories? What are the dark stories? Um, who are the family members that you wouldn't normally tell people about, but they're connected to you, and so you're connected to them, and they're a part of your story? This morning, we're going to look at a very shameful and dark story uh, from Jesus' family lineage, Right? And what I want you to see is that there actually can be good news from examining all the stories in our family. And what we see this morning through the story of Judah and Tamar is that God shows us that even though we are unfaithful, he is faithful. Even in our unrighteousness, he is righteous. And even in our injustice, he is just. And it's through this very unlikely story and this very unlikely mother that God makes us his children, okay? So we have two very simple points this morning. Um, the first one is the story of Judah and Tamar. And the second one is the lessons from Judah and Tamar. So first, let's talk about the story of Judah and Tamar. So way back in Genesis 3, 
God promises that he is going to bring a seed, and that that seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. So the seed, or the offspring motif, is an important one throughout all of Scripture. When Genesis 12, God is recreating his family, and he enters into a relationship with a man named Abraham, and he tells Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to give you a great home. And God uh, enters in what we call a covenant with Abraham. And then that covenant continues on to Abraham's children. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob had 11 sons, one of which was Judah. In Genesis 37, uh, we begin to see the um, sort of the complexity and the shamefulness of this family. We begin to see the flaws in Judah's character. Uh, Jacob had a favorite son. His name was Joseph. And because Jacob favored Joseph, Joseph was arrogant. And because Joseph was arrogant, his brothers hated him. So one day, the brothers devised a plan that they would kill Jacob, they would kill Joseph, get rid of him. Well, Judah says, why are we going to kill him? Why don't we get something out of this? Let's sell him into slavery. So they sold Joseph into slavery. And then they told the father that he was dead. And Judah was even the one who spoke up and, like, gave this idea to everybody. So we see the first hint of, the, of the, the sinfulness of Judah's character. Then we get to Genesis 38, where there's the story of Judah and Tamar. And it starts out by telling us that Judah leaves his father and his brothers. And he goes to the land of Canaan. Now, um, that's the author's shorthand way of saying Judah had rejected the God of his family. He rejected his family, he rejected God, he rejected the covenant, and he was going off on his own way. Uh, He went there and he took for him a wife of the Canaanites. He made friends of the Canaanites, all of which he wasn't supposed to do. He had children by this Canaanite wife. He had three of them. Uh, The the story kind of paints the picture that he was an absentee father. Uh, It talks about the wife naming the children and, and the wife even having one of the children while he was away. So Judah was uh, rejecting God, rejecting his family, uh, marrying people that he shouldn't marry, having sons that he wasn't taking care of. So uh, we get to begin to see that there's a darkness, a sinfulness, and even maybe even a wickedness to his character. Tamar comes in the story because she was the wife of Judah's firstborn son, Ur. Okay? Ur was so wicked that God put him to death. In that culture, whenever there was a, uh, a widow in the, in the family, then a brother would take the widow as his wife so that that family line could continue. Uh, this even became codified in Leviticus. They called it the Leverite, a Leverite marriage. Okay? So Ur dies. So Onan is supposed to take Tamar as his wife. Well, Onan doesn't want to have babies with Tamar because then that baby would take part of his inheritance. So Onan uses Tamar for his own pleasure, but doesn't give her a child. This displeases God. It's obviously wicked. So God strikes Onan dead as well. Judah has one more son, Shelah, and he promises to give Shelah to Tamar um, once Shelah's uh, of age, once he's old enough, right? So so Tamar goes home. She lives with her family. Shelah grows up. Judah never gives Tamar to Shelah because 
he thinks, well, Tamar is the reason why all my sons are dying, and I don't want this son to die, so I'm not going to give Tamar to him because then he might die. Um, so eventually Tamar kind of catches on, right, that this isn't going to happen. And one day she hears that Judah is going down to the sheep shears. It's a festival in, another, in, a, in a land called Timnah, and they're going to celebrate the shearing of the sheep. So she decides, I'm going to get justice. I'm going to um, get what's rightfully mine. So Judah goes to the party. T- uh, Tamar takes off her widow's clothes, puts on the clothes of a prostitute, goes to the road, waits for Judah to leave the party. Judah leaves the party, probably drunk. And she, he sees this prostitute, and he propositions her. And she says, well, what are you going to give me? And he says, well, I'll give you a goat. And she says, well, you don't have the goat now. He says, well, I'll give you my, my signet and my cord and my staff, and that would be my pledge that I'll come back someday and I'll give you this goat. So, she agrees. She takes his signet, his cord, his staff to her. Um, he does what he will with her, and then he leaves. She takes off her widow's clothes or her, her prostitute clothes, put back on her widow's clothes, and leaves. Judah sends, later sends his servant with a goat to repay this prostitute. The prostitute's not there. And he realizes he's kind of been duped, but he doesn't tell anybody. He just thinks it'll all blow over. Well, three months later, Tamar comes back pregnant. And Judah's servant comes and tells him, hey, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, she's been sexually immoral, and now she's pregnant. And guess what Judah does? He doesn't do the responsible thing, which would be to own up to his sin and take care of Tamar and these children. He says two words in the Hebrew, take and burn. He commands his servant to take Tamar and burn her. On the way to her death, Tamar says, hey, by the way, give Judah the signet, the cord, and the staff, and tell him that my baby has been fathered by the man who owns these things. So the servant takes the, the staff, the signet, and the cord to Judah, and he sees these things, and he realizes that he had actually slept with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, and that her babies were his children. And he says, Tamar is more righteous than I. He doesn't burn her. He allows her and her children to live. And Tamar's children, Judah's children, are Perez and Zerah, and Perez fathers Hezron, and so forth and so on, until from this dark, shameful story comes Jesus, the Savior of the world. So let me just recap the five-minute story that I just told you. Judah who's in Jesus' line, rejected God, rejected his family, befriended God's enemies, failed to raise his children to love and obey God, engaged in deception, immorality, and attempted murder. He neglected a widow instead of caring for her. It's not a great family story, is it? Tamar, the story's underhanded heroine, engaged in deceitful and immoral behavior to bring justice and ensure that her family line would continue. And this is in the story of Jesus' family. From this unlikely grandfather and this unlikely grandmother comes Jesus. I wonder if they're going to make a Christian movie about this one. Probably not, huh? So what can we learn from that dark story. 
the first thing I think we can learn is this, that God tells an honest story about his family. That God is not afraid to tell an honest story about his family. By including Judah and Tamar, God shows the sinfulness and the brokenness of the people in this world that he calls his children. It tells the story of their unfaithfulness, their unrighteousness, and their injustice. It shows the darkness and depravity of their heart. And it shows what the rest of the Bible teaches us, that no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All together, all have turned aside. They have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. When we look at the whole Bible, we see that we are like Judah and Tamar. If we, if we gave an honest account of our story, we would see that we're not righteous, that we're not faithful, that we're unjust. Uh, this story faces us to tell an honest story about ourselves, and it faces us to tell an honest story about our families. What, if you had to like summarize your family in a word or a sentence, their story, what would you say? What would be the themes and the motifs in your family? Um, as Sharon and I were driving home from Kuwaita, uh after Thanksgiving, I was thinking about this sermon. I was thinking about my family. And um, my family has lived in the Choska Bottoms of Kuwaita, Oklahoma, down by the Arkansas River, for 100 years. For 100 years, there was a Hatfield farming in the Choska River Bottoms until two years ago. And the story of my family over those 100 years has been one of faithful service, of faithful labor, of, of fruitfulness and harvesting. But it's also been a story of, of uh, workaholism and self-righteousness and loneliness. It's been a story filled with some faithfulness and with some unfaithfulness. What about your story? What about your family? Can you tell an honest story about your family? I think if God can tell an honest story about his family, then we can tell an honest story about ours. Um, our denomination has a family story. We're a part of the Presbyterian Church of America. It's our denomination. It started in 1973. And recently I read a book that chronicled the history of our denomination. And that is a story of both faithfulness and unfaithfulness. Our, our founding fathers were faithful to the scripture. They believed in the inspiration and the infallibility of the word of God and of the right preaching of God's word, of preaching the truth. But they also used the Bible to justify segregation. They used the Bible to justify not helping out during the civil rights movement. They used the Bible to justify fearing interracial marriage. unfaithfulness. Faithfulness and unfaithfulness. An honest story. Can we tell an honest story about our families? Can we tell an honest story about our church? What is Grace Stillwater's story? What will it be in the future? If God can tell an honest story about his family, then I think we can tell an honest story about ours.
not because we're proud of it, not because we want to revel in it or glorify it, but because with the, bra- the backdrop of our sinfulness, we see the glories of God's grace. When God tells an honest story about his family, it includes not just the sinfulness of his family, but also the grace of his family. And that's the second thing we see, is that God tells a story of grace. Despite all of Judah's unfaithfulness, God used Tamar's faithfulness to maintain the family line. And at the end of Genesis, you see the passage that we read earlier where Jacob lays his hand on Judah and he says, Judah, your son will be a great ruler. Your son will rule over the nations. The people will bow down and worship him. That the, the scepter would never depart from your family. In Matthew 1, 3, we see that this um, finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And in Revelation 5, 5, we see that Jesus is the Lion of Judah who rules and reigns over all things. We see that even though Judah was unfaithful, God was faithful. Um, and when you look at the whole Bible, when you look at this story, when you sort of put everything together, what you see is that Jesus is the true and greater Judah, right? Judah was supposed to care for the orphan and the widow and the outsider, but he didn't. Judah was supposed to uphold righteousness and truth and morality, but he didn't. Judah was supposed to love and worship God alone, but he didn't. But Jesus did. Jesus is the true and greater Judah. Judah cared, or not Judah, Jesus cared for the poor and the powerless, Jesus cared for people of all nations and races. Jesus practiced righteousness and justice and truth. Um, Jesus was everything that Judah was supposed to be. Jesus is the true and greater greater Judah, and Jesus is also the true and greater Tamar. Tamar had to use unrighteous means for a righteous end. Tamar had to, um, had to deceive and use immorality, but Jesus didn't. Jesus was faithful. Jesus was just. Jesus was righteousness, not through um, sex and deception, but through his humble service as a Savior. Jesus brought justice by becoming a human being, by becoming a little baby, by being humiliated to the point of being born in a major. He didn't put on prostitute clothes. He put on the swaddling clothes of a baby in a manger. And it was through his faithful obedience and sacrificing his life that he became justice and righteousness and faithfulness for us. Because that's the only way that we could come into God's family. It's because of Jesus' faithfulness and righteousness and justice that you and I get to be a part of this lineage, that we get to be a part of this genealogy. You see, the scandal of the gospel is that God adopts us sinners into his family to be his children. And he loves and he delights in us. God doesn't merely forgive us through the personal work of Jesus. He loves sinners. He adopts sinners He delights in sinners, and he is not afraid to call them his children. God's family story is a gracious family story. As as Eddie read earlier, Romans 3 
says, but now the righteousness from God has been manifested apart from the law, that although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, for there is no distinction, for we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. By faith in Jesus Christ, God calls people who are unrighteous, righteous. Um, and he is not, he is not afraid to call you his children. When it, I mean, there's the beauty of this genealogy that, Jesus, that God was not afraid to call Judah and Tamar his children despite all their sin. Even when they were unfaithful, he was faithful. Even when they were right, unrighteous, he was righteous. Even when they were unjust, he was just. And through Jesus Christ, he, is, he loves them and he delights in them. Uh, there's a story that came out, a movie, that came out in the 90s called Blood Diamond with Leonardo DiCaprio. It's one of Leo's better movies. Uh, but they're in a, a third world country and they're pursuing this, this beautiful diamond. And he, it, Leo is the guy who's supposed to, to get the diamond and he's working with one of the natives who is sort of his sidekick. And in, as part of the story, one of the subplots is the, these third world um, uh, rulers were, taking, were stealing children and training them up to fight for them, to help steal these diamonds and to kill people. So uh, Leo's, I can't remember his name, his character name, but Leo's sidekick, his son was stolen and was taken into the mob and trained to be a killer. Well, at one point, they're looking for the diamond. They dig up something out of the ground. They're excited because they found it, and all of a sudden, they freeze, and they look up, and there is the man's son with a gun pointed right at them. And so it's father, son, face-to-face, gun pointed from the son at the father. And the father looks at his son, and this is what he says. He says, Dia, Dia, you are Dia Vandy of the Mende tribe. You are a good boy. You You love soccer and you love school. Your mother loves you and she waits for you. The cows wait for you. I know that you, they made you do bad things, but you are not a bad boy. I am your father who loves you, and you will come home, and you will be my son again. This genealogy is God looking you in the face and saying that your story doesn't define you that he defines you, that he says that you're his son or you're his daughter and he wants you to come home. He is not ashamed to be associated with you no matter what your sin or your guilt is because of what his son Jesus has done for you. God tells a story of honesty. God tells a story of grace. And then lastly, God's family tells a story of transformation. He writes a new story. Um, Judah's, if you, when you read through all of these stories about Judah, what you see is after this interaction with Tamar, whenever she shows him his sin, Judah changes. Immediately in the passage after uh, Judah says, um, Tamar is more righteous than I, it says that Judah knew her no more, that he didn't use her anymore. 
Judah's life changed. And then when you get into Genesis 39 and 40 and so on, you see the story of Joseph play out. And at the end, uh, those of you who know the story, whenever Joseph, uh, and whenever J- um, Judah and his brothers are negotiating with Joseph, because Joseph is now the king over uh, all of Egypt. He's not the king. He's not the pharaoh, but he's the king. Judah is negotiating. And Judah is the one who steps up and says, don't take my brother, I'll go for him. Judah sacrifices himself. So think about the the change that took place in Judah's life. Judah went from being the one who wanted to oppress the poor and the powerless and sell them into slavery into being the one who's willing to sacrifice himself for the poor and the powerless. He went from being unfaithful to being faithful. He went from being unrighteous to being righteous. He went from being unjust to being just. That's what God does with us. God tra- takes our stories. He transforms us by his, he transforms them and he transforms us by his grace. He begins to write a new story. He begins to write a new story. And so I would ask you, what, what new story do you want God to write in your family? What's the new chapter you want to see? What, what do you want the title of that chapter to be? If you're, if you're looking at your life uh, and you see a life that's been marked by um, immorality, maybe you want him to write a chapter of purity. If you're looking at your life and, and you realize that it's been, um, it's been a life of, of uh, workaholism and perfectionism, then maybe you want this new chapter to be rest in Jesus. If you're looking at your life and you realize it's been a, it's been a life of racism and power and privilege against other peoples, then maybe you want your life to be one uh, marked by reconciliation and forgiveness and love for all peoples. What do you want the new chapter to be? What do you want the new story to be for your family? Um, uh, by God's grace, uh, God is changing the PCA family as we're honest about our story, as we tell our stories. Um, over the past few years, as we've become more honest about our racist past, uh, we have repented of our racism. We've signed uh, racial reconciliation overtures. Uh, our pastors have written books encouraging racial reconciliation within our denomination. Uh, we elected our first black and Korean moderators within the last couple years. Uh, we've started mercy ministries all over the country, such as Restore Oklahoma City, that practice racial reconciliation and forgiveness. And even right here in RUF, we're seeing some of these changes take place. We've had a cross-cultural Bible study for the last couple years where students of all colors have, have got together to share stories about God's grace in their lives. We have African-American students in our home on a regular basis. And even recently, um, I had two African-American men, uh, guys, students, in my home to watch a football game and it was, just, it was just beautiful to see my little, my kids playing with these African-American students, something you would have never seen a few decades ago. Uh, Sherry and I got the privilege of going to Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Lincoln, where Claire and her dad are members. Uh, and they have a beautiful congregation of people of all different races and ethnicities and socioeconomic classes. And the way they do communion, uh, we should try it sometime, Ryan. It's really, it's really beautiful. But they have the table set up up front, and people just come up 
together, all is one. They make a line. It's orderly because they're Presbyterian, that, right? So they come up together. They take the bread. They dip it in the wine, and they eat the bread, and they go off the other side. What's beautiful about it is you have all this, this family of these different people coming to eat together. And then at the end, there's like crumbs and juice and wine like all over the place, like a Thanksgiving meal was just eaten. It's God weaving together a new story for that church and for our denomination. Um, God wants to transform and change us and our stories. That's the story of Christmas. It's a story of God himself coming into our story, coming into this world. It's an honest story, it's a gracious story, and it's a transforming story. And it can be our stories by faith in Christ. Let's celebrate that. Let's enjoy that. Let's worship that, uh, the Christ whom God has given us. Let's experience that glory and let it transform us. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time we can uh, spend in your word, Lord. We thank you uh, for leaving the story of Judah and Tamar for us. We thank you for preserving your line through them. We thank you for making them your children uh, because we know that we are just as sinful and broken as they are, that we uh, practice unfaithfulness, and unrighteousness and injustice, just like they did. And we need your grace. We need you to transform us to the personal work of Jesus. We thank you for sending him to be our unlikely Savior, so that we might be your unlikely children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.